Good morning, everyone. Do keep your Bibles open at Zechariah 7 and 8, please. And as uh, we've heard it read, I wonder if you've ever found yourself doing something where, to everyone else looking on, everything looked fine on the outside, but really your heart was elsewhere. Uh, I imagine we can all think back to experiences like that for ourselves or times when we've detected it in others. Uh, Have you ever driven along the road and witnessed everyone speeding uh, and slow down when they see a cop car or a uh, a speed camera? Anyone ever seen that? Uh, And then they speed up again once they're on the other side. For that short distance, everything looks fine on the outside, but obeying the road rules, well, their hearts are elsewhere. Uh, Do you remember being at school? And I think this might apply to people around my age and younger. I'm not sure anyone dared who are older than me. But uh, for those of us who had this experience, the rules about how to wear the uniform or where you could and couldn't go, and how you and your fellow students did what you did in front of the teachers to avoid detention, but when you weren't around them, uh, you did as you pleased. Uh, When those in charge were around, everything looked fine on the outside, uh, but our hearts were elsewhere. There are other situations where this occurs as well. Uh, Maybe you can think of something you've done with your family or with work or socially, where you went through with what you knew was expected of you, but told others outside of that circle what you really thought of it. To the onlookers who were there, everything looked fine on the outside, but your heart is elsewhere. Now, as we come to Zechariah chapter 7 and 8 today, what's revealed in the heart of God's people then uh, is that this is exactly how they were treating him. Giving the appearance of trusting God, going through the motions of the right attitude to him, but in their hearts, being far from him, being elsewhere. And the challenge for us today, as we see God in all of his goodness in these chapters, uh, is to answer the question, will we make the same grave error? Uh, Simply being religious in the name of God, but not actually having a relationship and being real with God. There is a much better alternative. The great alternative of having our lives, our hearts aligned with God's heart. Experiencing the loving kindness of God now and eternity together with him. So let's have a look at uh, these chapters. And chapter 7 and 8 is uh, a carefully crafted uh, central part of these 14 chapters of the book. It uh, parallels and sums up so much of what's come before in the visions of the first six chapters. Uh, though itself is not a, it itself is not a vision, uh, and in fact occurs two years after those visions were given to Zechariah to speak to the people. Now, do you remember me mentioning the major headings that are embedded in the book of Zechariah? I've got them up on a slide here. Uh, For the three headings, it goes something like this. In the something year of King Darius, the word of the Lord 
came to Zechariah on the, this day of the month. And so the first one's in 1 verse 1 and then the second in 1 verse 7. The third occurs here in 7 verse 1 and they each follow that same pattern which has led uh, some readers of Zechariah to divide the book up into chapters 1 to 6 and 7 to 14. Uh, but you might remember we've been tackling it as 1 to 8 and 9 to 14. The reason we've done that is because of the particular tone change that occurs at the beginning of chapter 9 and the way in which uh, that follows through uh, with these two remaining headings where chapter 9 and chapter 12 uh, describe what follows as a prophecy. Here's another thing that I've mentioned every week when we've been reading Zechariah. It's chapter 1, verse 3, uh, the introduction of the book. You can all say it together with me, can't you, without looking at it on the screen? Sorry, just kidding. Uh, this casts its shadow over the entirety of the book. 1 verse 3, Therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, declares the Lord Almighty. What we hear in that verse is fleshed out in the two chapters we're looking at again today, as, as it is in different ways across all the chapters. Uh, but what we'll gain from these chapters will strengthen our reliance on God. What we'll take away uh, give, will give us confidence that he gives us the heart to do what he says. Now, you probably noticed uh, the trigger for what unfolds in these two chapters is a question. Uh, a question from people from the north, not that far north, from the town of Bethel, a question they wish to ask of God, and so they go to the priests and the prophets in Jerusalem. Halfway through verse 3, the question is, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Now, the significance of that question and its answer is played out across these two chapters. And uh, they are broken up into three sections uh, where each begins, then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. So the first one's there in verse 4, so 4 to 14, looking back. Uh, the next one is 8, 1, 1 to 15, looking at the present time, and verses 18 to 23, looking to the future. So let me read 7 from verse 4 again. Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me, ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous and the Negev and the western foothills were settled? You can hear in those questions, can't you, the questions the Lord asks of the people, not just the people from Bethel, mind you, uh, but the people of the whole land. He asks about their fasting, 
Their fasting before God is a sign of mourning over their sin and the judgment of exile that's fallen on them. Uh, And their feasting before that, full well knowing the answer. He knows the answer. In fact, he's asking so they will realise the answer. Just by the way, the different months that are mentioned there probably have to do with the months that different uh, historic moments occurred as things unravelled uh, some 70 years earlier. But uh, really, uh, this, this answer from God is about something far bigger than fasting and feasting. Outwardly, the people looked like they were depending on God but inwardly their hearts were miles away. And they had the signs of religion, but it was in the absence of really relating to God, of being real with God. We've talked before about this period of time in Israel's history, and and I keep putting up this diagram. Uh, This is the sort of where are we in the second to last chapter of the Bible. Uh, before Jesus' return, well, the time of Zechariah is uh, on the other side of the cross, the first one on the other side of the cross, uh, where Zechariah speaks at what is the end of some of Israel's darkest days. The 70 years gets mentioned there in verse 5, the 70 years of exile away from the land, far away from the presence of God as he'd revealed himself in the land, experiencing the consequences of their sin and disobedience before God. And you've got to remember, even as you look at this particular point in time and their experience of it, that the Lord hadn't muted them at their first failure. He'd sent warning after warning via the prophets. They're mentioned too in verse 7. He'd exercised patience and mercy, but still they ignored him. And let me be quick to add, without the intervention of God, we act exactly the same way. Their actions are symbolic of our actions, their heart of our heart. And I think it's striking, striking to see what the Lord chooses to prosecute his case, looking back here. Now, you pick it up in verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor, Do not plot evil against each other. Now, why do you think God chose those actions? Is it because, well, these are important moral values that are important to him? And certainly these words were spoken by the prophets beforehand they'd been commanded in the law but do you know why above all else i think he chooses them because they reflect the heart of god in the way he treats us we who are made in his image this is what it means to be truly human 
And so that's the way he wants us to treat each other. He is judge and just. He has power and authority, but he uses it in mercy and love. He doesn't throw his weight around. Hence his judgment on the people in verse 11 to 12 there. Their hearts were hard like stone with his word simply bouncing off them. But they refused to pay attention, verse 11. Stubbornly turned their backs. Uh, They turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. And so what is described here in Israel, it's the human condition we all share. It's the heart of sin itself, refusing to pay attention to God, even though he is our God, turning our backs on God, covering our ears, not listening to his powerful word, not listening to him. And so the natural consequences of that here the just consequences for sin. Well, verse 13 is like a summary of everything that's happened before now in the Old Testament. When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations where they were strangers. The land they left behind them was so desolate that no one travelled through it. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. Now remember at the time of Zechariah and uh, these words, this is looking back. This is how God keeps his promises to those who don't uh, hear and heed his word to those whose hearts are far from him. But what does God have in store for those who return to him? And as we come uh, to chapter 8 and beginning at verse 1, I guess there is an obvious question uh, out there or something that you might have observed, which is the Lord still hasn't answered the question about fasting. Uh, That's interesting, isn't it? Well, 8 verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah to speak into the days in which he lived. Uh, where things are being turned around, of which the visions of the previous six chapters uh, to which they pointed. At the time uh, in which we can expect that the temple building was up again, progressing, and probably because of the question that got asked, near completion. And again, it's the word of the Lord's faithfulness we see in these words, but expressed in mercy. Uh, reading from verse 8 verse 2 the word of the lord almighty came to me this is what the lord almighty says i am very jealous for zion i am burning with jealousy for her this is what the lord says i will return to zion and dwell in jerusalem then jerusalem will be called the faithful city and the mountain of the lord almighty will be called the holy mountain 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem. Each of them will, with cane in hand because of their age, the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. And one of the eight o'clockers who was reading this out at eight o'clock church gave a fist pump for those who were sitting in the streets of Jerusalem. As we read through chapter eight, it's a picture that's repeated again and again, a light shone from different angles. Did you notice even in these words, uh, the way in which they parallel and sum up the promise and hope of the earlier visions, of the earlier chapters, as here when the Lord speaks of his jealousy to do good for his people and the prosperity that will mark this city, young and old taking their proper place again after Jerusalem had been in ruin. Another thing to notice here is the, uh, the deep roots of this imagery, the deep dependency it has on what has taken place before now. Some of us uh, were talking the other day about reading Zechariah and Zechariah's prophecy and uh, we landed on uh, something that it feels a bit like this. Uh, it feels like an iceberg, uh, where Zechariah itself is the bit you can see above the water, uh, but actually its roots go down. Uh, I've mixed my metaphors now. I keep doing that. Uh, the base of the uh, the iceberg goes down deep, deep underneath the water, and so to here the themes of Zechariah go deep go back through the prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah, go back to the kings of David and Solomon, go back to Moses and the law, and even go back to the father of faith, Abraham himself. Promises of God's people in God's place under God's rule. In fact, Zechariah itself will be used in a similar way to this uh, this iceberg sort of uh, uh, way of seeing things by Jesus and the New Testament writers. But that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves and a good plug to come back next week. Uh, the point is, each word of chapter 8, 1 to 17, is that God will be faithful to his promises. And what wonderful promises they are. And did you notice verse 6? as we were reading through. It may seem marvellous to the people who receive them, the Lord says, but will it seem marvellous to me? And you know what he's saying? He's saying, I can get all this done before breakfast. For as we saw him faithful to his promises to judge in chapter 7, so here in his promises to save, to save his people. And as we've come to expect in Zechariah, as in all God's word, what we're hearing today, well, there is an appropriate response to it, isn't there? Now, if you were here, you would have heard last week, uh, we were reading chapters three and four and the last part of chapter six, and there we saw clearly how God will make all of this possible. Uh, well, at least what it points to, we saw it pointing to uh, not so much what, but who, the Lord Jesus, bringing together all the great threads of God's promises. God himself 
come and dwelling uh, among us. As we're going to remember, and thanks very much, Ben, in four weeks' time. Yeah, there'll be a punishment for you later. Uh, God with us, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, likewise, he's our great high priest, and likewise the branch who would rule for all time, the Lord. And as he brings all these things together in the climax of all God's promises, so he does this for us as well. By his spirit, we may respond in the way God desires, in the way God commands. And it's just another of the profound ways in which we see both the power and loving kindness of our God. It is ours through Jesus. And so what is this response? Well, to them then, in verse 9, they're told, let your hands be strong, build the temple. That was clearly uh, an aspect of it, of what they had to do in their day. But this side of Jesus, we don't need to build a physical building. Uh, but have a look at verse 16. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against each other and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. Do you see what was raised in chapter 7 is resolved here in chapter 8? God calls us to have the heart he called on Israel to have because it is his heart and we are his people, made in his image, remade in the image of his son, Jesus. He remains the same, whether for them then or us today. But as was promised in the prophets, as they reflected on the hardness, the, the stone-like hearts of the people, uh, people like us, so in Jesus we have this new heart, a heart of flesh, the heart that Jesus exemplified, the heart that he gives all who return to him. And so we can speak the truth to each other uh, and render true and sound judgments. Uh, we do not plot evil against each other. And we do not love to swear falsely because our Lord hates all of this. But we do struggle to do it, don't we? Uh, whether saying one thing and then doing another, uh, being other person-centred rather than uh, self-centred, uh, you know, even, even things to do with church and being a Christian, you know, we can front up feeling like we have to keep up appearances. But I'm struck by how Zechariah 7 and 8 lands on this. You can be doing the right things. Everything can look okay, but be doing them for the wrong reasons. Motivation matters. 
In fact, we'll, we'll consider another day how two people can be doing exactly the same things as far as appearances go, but their motivations can be uh, as far apart as the East is from the West. And when it comes to relating to God, one is doing what they do out of religion and the other out of a relationship, being real with God. Motivation matters more than actions and actions really matter. <laughs> Will we be people who have the heart of God, whether it's individually or together as a church? What will have to change in order to have our motivations and our actions shaped by the one who has transformed us? What needs to remain the same? It may have to do with taking time. Taking time, which everyone tells us is people's uh, most important resource. Taking time to listen and understand each other and not assume that we know what is going on for each other. Perhaps it will be exercising forgiveness, costly forgiveness, uh, not just with one another, but with others beyond. What will it take? And still, there is no answer on the question of fasting. You know, this is the sort of thing I do, particularly with my now adult children, where they ask a question and I've got something that I think is very important that I want to say to them and I'll answer their question after they've heard the thing that I want to say. So I'm in good company now. Uh, there's one more, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me in our chapters today, 8 verse 18, and in what follows, finally, the Lord gives an answer. Because, of course, remember the question that triggered all this was about feasting and fasting, about uh, mourning and celebrating, and there's so much more too uh, in these final words. Because what is happening in Zechariah's time is the forerunner uh, of what is to come. Picking up on God's great promise that goes all the way back to Abraham. A promise that we travel the whole Bible to see unfold. God's first people will be a blessing to all people. One nation alone doesn't have a monopoly on the goodness and faithfulness of God, but but all of us from among the nations who return to and trust in him. Listen to what's foreshadowed from verse 19. Consider how our, this, this future is our experience today. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah, therefore love truth and peace. This is what the Lord Almighty says, many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. 
and many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. Fasting will turn to feasting. Uh, it happened for them then, uh, but it's far bigger than that, isn't it? For the people who are pictured here, ultimately, we are these people. With the coming of the Lord Jesus, we are travelling, as it were, on the coattails of what the Lord has done through the Jews and through Israel. Now not travelling to an earthly city, uh, but travelling to the heavenly city. Jerusalem as it's pictured here. And our privilege, though we are not the people of Judah, our privilege is that as we've received from them, now as people from across the nations, we ourselves uh, may lovingly serve others. That they may travel uh, with us, so as to speak, on our coattails, grabbing hold of the good news of Jesus, clinging to it as we pass it on. As they hear that God is with us, not just us, but to all who would respond to him uh, in faith through the Lord Jesus. He is building his temple but not a physical temple anymore. He is building a spiritual temple that includes every one of us who trust in him. Where we who've been so, so incredibly and richly blessed by God through the Lord Jesus, we may be a blessing to others, to our loved ones, to those we work with, to our friends, to our near neighbours, as well as those who are far away. Now, I was planning to finish there, uh, but it did occur to me that that might leave at least one thing a little bit uh, unsatisfying for you, which is a question some of you will have is, well, what are we meant to do when it comes to fasting now? Uh, because it's, fasting's been an aspect of Christian discipleship among different people and we're talking about it today. Well, while remembering it's not the main point of this passage, I guess I want to say to you that remember we live in the time of now but not yet. The promises of God have been fulfilled now but the Lord Jesus has not returned yet to wrap up the final promises. And so living after Jesus, we can certainly uh, approach things this way and not fast. After all, something far greater than the building of the physical temple has happened for us. On the other hand, you could say, well, because we live in the now but not yet time and sin is still with us, it is appropriate to fast and mourn as we continue to live with sin. It doesn't matter which you do. 
But what matters is your motivation. Are you trying to be religious with God or be real with God? We're told in Romans 14, whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. And likewise, we can allow each other freedom in this area. But the key is not to be religious, but to be real with God. And through the Lord Jesus, may our hearts align with his heart. Return to me and I will return to you. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we, we want to thank you for your initiative taking marvellous love, what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do is marvellous to us, including the fact that you can do it uh, in the blink of an eye and it is no trouble to you. Heavenly Father, help us to walk in your ways shape our heart in the form of your heart give us compassion and love uh, fleeing vengeance hating sin showing mercy and may we receive that same great mercy that you have offered us in the lord jesus on the day of his return amen